Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. You are our strength and you are our redeemer. Lord, sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see to it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is no room. There's, there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So there are a lot of metaphors for the church in the Bible, right? I mean, there, there's, there's a few that we find. We find the body, right? Um, this is why, uh, and, and it's an important metaphor, uh, be, because th- this is why, like, it, when, when any of you aren't here, you know, I kind of called out Father Scott and the Brewers because they were gone this last week. But when any of you aren't here, it hurts, right? Because part of the body is missing. Uh, there's the, the, the idea of the temple. We sing a song today where we said, uh, draw near to the, the temple. Now, is, is that referring to a church? Sometimes we do call churches temples, and that's okay. But, uh, but in, in the Bible, mainly when we're talking about the Christian idea of a temple, it's, it's uh, what Peter said, that you and I are being built up as living stones, right, into a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so this song is saying, draw near into the body of Christ. Another another way uh, that we just that we just had here is the idea of celebration. That's what we talk about when we have Eucharist here. When we have the Lord's Supper. We say we're celebrating Eucharist. Right? This idea of celebration that the life of the body of Christ is a party, right? In some sense. So uh, I, I just wonder if we could keep that in mind today as we think about um, a, another metaphor that we heard from Luke ten about the harvest. Is what are we inviting people into? What, what is this? Where, where are we harvest? What are we harvesting into? That's kind of what I'm what I'm getting at here. I mean, can you imagine if there's a, a field that that was uh, that was just so plentiful, and 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 there was enough there to to feed the entire world, to feed the entire world. You just had to harvest it, but then you. Know, People start making excuses. We just read, I, I just read you guys another passage on the fly from Luke 14. And people start making excuses. Oh, I'm not really a harvester. It's not really my thing. Right? I don't have the skills. I'm too busy to harvest. What if only some people, you know, took advantage of that? Well, I mean, that would be great for them, right? Um, but there would be so much untapped kind of potential for good. And not just for good, but, but for life to a needy, hungry world, Right? 
And I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about this idea of, of, of harvest. When he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the, the workers are, are few. It's Luke 10. Jesus sends out his 72 disciples out on mission when he says that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And in, other, in other words, there's a world of people, a world of need. A world of people ready to hear and receive the gospel message and be brought into the household of God. Right? To be made part of that body, to, 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 to build up that temple, to join the celebration. But very few people are actually ready to go do the, the hard work of bringing the good news to those in need. Very few people are willing to be like the servant in Luke 14 that went out to the highways and the byways and the, the hedges. I, I don't really get what the hedges thing is about, but whatever, right? Uh, I think it was because they were going along the side of the road, right? It, it, but very few of us are willing to, to, to go out and do it. And not just bring the good news verbally, that's always essential, but also to bring the good news from a, a, a certain posture, a certain frame of mind. Right, a, a, a way of living in light of the good news. So they bring the good news while living in light of the good news. And you do that in deep reliance on God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying very few people are ready and willing to engage in that work. Yet, going out on mission on behalf of Christ and dependence on the Holy Spirit seems to be a necessary part of following him. In Luke's, in Luke's gospel, we see a, a progression of the 12 being sent out, the 72 being sent out, and then in, in Acts, which remember Luke and Acts were once uh, squashed together as one volume, the, uh, the entire church receives this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's a mark of being in the church is receiving the Holy Spirit. And one of the marks of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. Remember that? We've, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And prophecy um, at the most basic level is, of course, telling the truth about who God is and what he's doing. And we know that that's all about Jesus Christ. So we see this, we see this expansion of mission from the 12 to the 72 to everybody. And, and, and I'll explain that some more. The Lord appointed 72 others, sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, your Bible, um, I don't know if you have maybe a different Bible than what we use, uh, open. We use the English uh, Standard Version most of the time for our preaching and for our, our reading. There are other translations that, uh, that have 70 in there instead of 72. And that might throw you for a loop if you're opening your Bible and you see a different number. What's going on there, Father Nathan? Well, the, the reason is we actually have two different manuscript traditions. So uh, of all the different New Testament manuscripts, there are the two numbers that show up uh, quite a bit, 70 and 72. Um, and so the, these translation committees, when they, uh, when they get together to, to create an English language Bible, uh, they usually just, you know, they, they, they have their, their reasons and they put the one that they think is best in there, but not every committee agrees, right? And they put the other one in the footnote. So that, that's how that goes. So um, in some English translations, you're going to see Jesus sent 70 out on mission and others are going to see that he sent 72. And it's probably because... Um, it's interesting. It doesn't necessarily change the meaning at all be, because the meaning stays the same. Here's why. It's probably an allusion to the divisions between nations that happened early on in the biblical history. So according to the biblical story, 
the nations were divided by language at a certain point. If you want to read that story, go to Genesis chapter 10, uh, the Tower of Babel story. Read that. So uh, when all the nations are divided by language, they split into 70 groups by nation. And they're listed there. It's called the Table of Nations. Now, depending on how some of those names are grouped together, um, you can actually come up with 70 or 72. So that's probably why we have the two numbers uh, that show up in, in different manuscript traditions. But whichever one is most correct, it doesn't change the meaning at all. The, 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 it's, it's there. The, the mission symbolized the message of Jesus going out to the whole world either way. Every nation. And the harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. There's another layer to the number as well. There's another layer to the number as well, especially if we end up going with 70. Uh, 70 is often a number that represented all of Israel. Um, and so it's interesting that in this context that that could, that could uh, it's kind of a holistic number, the, 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 we're 70, the, the number 70. So it could also be this idea of, of representing all the disciples. Remember, Jesus had more than 12 disciples, right? He, he, had, he had the 12, but then there was a larger number could be representing everybody. It could represent all of the church. So what we have here in just this first verse about Jesus sending out 72 is uh, this idea that, that Jesus is sending out all God's people on some level to participate in mission. And the mission is to the whole world. All God's people participate in mission and the mission is to the whole world. And so we're, we're still tempted to say though, right? And I know this because I was a missionary kid. We're, we're still, uh, my parents were missionaries, right? I don't mean I was like, oh yeah, my parents were missionaries. I was a, a, a child of missionaries. And so we hear this all the time. Well, oh, God bless you guys. You guys are so great for, for going over there and doing that. That's just not my thing. That's not my calling. We heard that all the time. People saying it's not my calling to be a missionary, right? It's not my skill set. In reality, though, if Jesus has called you to be his disciple, if Jesus has called you to be his disciple, I think we can say this. He's calling you also to be his missionary. Now think about that. You can't be a disciple and refuse to participate in mission. I think it's mutually exclusive. If you, if you refuse to participate in mission, you're no longer being a disciple. And so... Uh, we're, we're tempted to say that, but we kind of have to. We kind of have to fight it. And, and in that way, we're a lot like Moses. You remember Moses? He said he couldn't lead the people of Israel out of slavery and bondage because he couldn't speak well. He, he had a he had a stutter. He had he had something that that was causing him to feel like I'm not good enough. I I, I wasn't born with the talents that that you need for this. And you know what's amazing is God doesn't change His call at all based on that, like. God's not like, okay, you know what? Good point, Moses. You're off the hook. No. Do you know what he does? He brings him a helper in his brother Aaron, who is able to help with the speaking part. So, you know, even if one of us doesn't have every single skill needed to be some kind of perfect missionary, that's not the expectation. Like, we're all blessed to be called to this work, not just as individuals, but as a community of disciples. As we said, a body of Christ. As a communal celebration where the party's just not the same when, when somebody's gone. We help each other out. And this is why Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs. Isn't that interesting? He didn't send them out on, on their own. Send them out in pairs. Most of the time, you notice, even in the New Testament, we talk about the missionary journeys of Paul, 
right? He, he almost always has a companion, right? Even on mission, Jesus' disciples remain in community. Even on mission, Jesus' disciples remain in community. And so this is a, so important to us to remember. Um, because we, we can sometimes, uh, if we're not on one end of thinking, oh, I can't do this at all. We're on the other end of thinking, I've got this, God. I can save the world for you. No problem. But this, the, when God sends people out in pairs, when he calls us to do this in community, it's a reminder that this work of harvest, and we're going to get to exactly what we mean by that in a minute. This work of harvest has nothing at all to do with our skills, our abilities, or the resources that we have in ourselves. It's all about what God can do and what God will provide. That's what it's about. So the entire posture of mission has to be one of reliance on God. And we see this in the second half of verse 2. Don't worry, I'm going to go a little bit faster. We're not going to spend as much time on every verse. right? Verse 2, earnest prayer has to undergird mission. Earnest prayer has to undergird mission. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's Luke 10 2. You always got to start with prayer. That's why we pray every Wednesday here at our church at noon for our community and for the mission that is happening here in Sunny Slope. Because we know that we cannot do this without prayer. Out of prayer, we receive the conviction and a faith that we need to go on mission in the way of Christ. It's out of prayer that we get that conviction and that faith that we need to go in the way of Christ. And that is always to go with vulnerability. It's always to go with vulnerability, figuratively and literally, and with a trust in God's daily provision. And, and, um, and in order to trust, you actually have to take a risk. Right? It's not just an internal disposition. Um, it starts there, but there's always a, a risk. We used to use this, we used to use this uh, illustration doing evangelism about faith. And, and, and it has its limits. It's not the absolute best illustration, okay? But, I, but I'm going to share it with you, this idea of trust, because you've got to put it into practice at some point, right? All right. Now, I trust that this chair can hold me up. As long as I'm standing here, I, mean, I can say that all day long. But have I really trusted the chair? What if I do this? What if I say, you know, I trust that this chair can hold me up. Cool. All right. I did it. I trusted the chair. I mean, have I really put that into practice in my life? Okay. No, nah, but I mean, if I do this, I mean, I've trusted the chair. Right? I've put it into practice. I've, I've relied on the chair to hold me up. Right? And so I think there's something to that. Uh, in, in this disposition, this posture of reliance on the Holy Spirit, that we have to we have to put it into practice on some level. Um, and oh my gosh, where's my mic? Um, we we have to put that into practice. Can you help me put that back, buddy? Thank you. Um, you know, and I think I think that we're tempted to keep it in the realm of the mind only, and say, oh yeah, I trust, but not. 
not really go as far as making ourselves vulnerable, which is what trust is. Like, I am vulnerable when I'm putting all my weight in the chair. And this is what Jesus is is getting at when he says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That is some serious vulnerability. That is some serious trust that he's asking of his disciples in, in the protection of God. He says, carry no money bag. And how, how often do we tend to trust in our physical resources? No knapsack, right? That's, uh, that's uh, supplies that you would have and savings or whatever. No sandals. Goodness gracious, Jesus. And greet no one on the road. Now that one's kind of interesting. Right? The reason he says not to greet people on the road is that uh, those kind of greetings at that time in that culture were expected to be really long and full of time spent visiting. And, of course, Jesus is not against socializing. Jesus was a great socializer. I mean, he loved to hang out with people. But he is against social conventions that distract us from what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what he's getting at there. What are the social distractions that maybe keep us from mission today? Can you think of any? One of the first things that comes to my mind, of course, is social media for me. That's a social convention uh, not that it can't be used well, but oftentimes it's a distraction from mission, from what's really important. Another one might, might be just be any kind of gathering that is really um, more about establishing some kind of social cred on your part than developing real relationships or learning to love one another. So to sum up uh, what we've seen so far, Mission is for all disciples and to every person. Mission is meant to be carried out in community. Mission must be undergirded by prayer and a, and a, a trust and dependence on God. And mission is an area of focus, real focus, for each of us and for all of us. Okay, now, what is the nature of the mission? I've been talking all the time about how we go about it, what, what it uh, how, we, how we do this, but what is it that we're supposed to do? What is... What does it mean to go harvest? Okay, first thing we're to do, I think, is bring a message of peace to all. A message of peace to all. Now, I'm getting this from uh, Luke 10, verses 5 and 6 from our gospel passage today. Whatever house you enter, Jesus says, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Peace is at the core of the gospel proclamation of Jesus as Lord. Peace is at the core of the gospel proclamation. To, to receive peace with God and realize that God is himself making peace with every person as a free gift is to then yourself, as far as it depends on you, it means to be at peace with every person. Of course, this was Jesus' message from the very beginning, right? And, and we see that, that he not only proclaimed peace with God, but he lived out peace with God in, in a way that you and I never could. Because he was, in fact, is, in fact, the second person of the Holy Trinity in the flesh. And so he's able to live in his life and ministry in this perfect harmony with God, this perfect peace with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is unhindered by selfish affections, attitudes, and actions that weigh you and me down. And in fact, he freely took that weight off of us onto himself on our behalf on the cross. And there he put that weight to death. And his resurrection is the vindication. Like when God, the power of the Holy Spirit, brings Jesus to life. 
he is vindicating that, that Jesus' way, the way that he lived, the way of peace, will triumph over evil in the end. And this had real political implications for these houses that these uh, disciples were going and visiting and saying, peace be to this house. Because many of the people that were on the receiving end of the disciples' mission and message didn't want peace at all. And in fact, many were wanting independence from the oppressive Roman Empire at the time. Not a bad thing. But they felt justified in advocating violent rebellion as a means to that end. And this is something that was very common at these, these uprisings and, and revolts. And it was getting worse and worse at the time of Jesus, by the way. It was getting worse and worse, more and more violence. And so that's why the, the, the disciple missionaries are proclaiming a different kingdom and a way of peace in that kingdom. And, and, it's, a, and it's a kingdom that demands a higher allegiance to, to this different set of values. And so... This is why they come with a message of peace, but also a word of warning. They come with a word of warning. We, we, we didn't read um, that whole section today, but if you read the entire chapter of Luke 10, you will see the words of warning to all the cities that would reject this message of peace. And the reason why uh, there's a, a word of warning there is because uh, those that reject the peace of Christ in this story, that reject a way of peace and end up pursuing a way of violence will be sentencing themselves to judgment in the form of Ro the Roman Empire's military punishment for revolts. And this, this actually will, will happen later. Jerusalem's going to get sacked in 70 AD. Every missionary, and that means me and you, brings a message of God's peace to all and for all in every situation. And so we have a, a message uh, about the kingdom of Christ that has implications for the rest of the kingdoms of this world. Your way is the way of violence to the kingdoms of this world. The way of God, the way of the kingdom of Christ is the way of peace. Second, the, the, the mission includes developing a reciprocal relationship with those that you bring the message for. So core activity is bringing a message of peace, but you develop a relationship with the person or people that you are bringing peace to. What do you say in Luke 10, 7 and 8? Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. This is relational language to, to have a meal with somebody for the laborer deserves his wages. So they're receiving something in return for this. Do not go from house to house. Don't just, don't, don't just kind of proclaim the message and peace out. No. Don't go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So there's this provision given to the missionaries by those that receive them. And the missionaries cultivate gratitude for whatever they're being given, whatever that is. Remember, they came in super vulnerable. They came in with no uh, resources of their own. So as missionaries, we have to remember that we are not the saviors. That's not the position that we take. We point to the savior. And so we realize that the ground is, is, is level at the foot of the cross and that we are just as needy for salvation as anybody else. And in fact, God intends to use those that we are ministering to to meet our needs as well on some level. So we have to go into mission with the idea of developing a reciprocal relationship. All right, so message of peace, develop a reciprocal relationship. Mission also includes this practical help accompanied by the witness to the gospel. So there is a message, no doubt. But in verse 9, Jesus says, heal the sick. 
It's not just a message. Also, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Of course, we always help people as followers of Christ simply because they are loved by Christ. No strings attached and with no ulterior motives. Nevertheless, our mission as the church is to witness to the why of every good blessing in this world. And the why of every blessing is the love of God expressed in and through the life and work of Jesus Christ. And so we talk about that when we offer practical help to anybody. We want to say the kingdom of God has come near to you. We don't have to always have to use those exact words, but we want to say, I'm doing this. This is happening because God loves you. When we are faithful to live our lives as being sent out on mission to the world around us, we will not be able to control how others respond, okay? The assumption in the text that we have today is that some people will respond positively as children of peace. We love that, right? Uh, Others won't. That's scary, right? That's scary. Um, It's not something that you and I can control, though. And I get that none of us wants to have uh, our message. And we think, ah, it's such a good message, it's a message of peace and love. Why wouldn't you want that? We don't like the idea of, of, of being rejected. And I get that. But we can't let fear of a negative response keep us from being faithful to our call. To do that, it would not only be disobedient, but we would miss out on seeing all the positive responses We'd miss out on seeing all the positive responses. We'd miss out on seeing God come through for us as we follow him in faith. So the question for me personally, and maybe it is for you too, is do I have enough faith that the harvest is really plentiful? Am I willing to go to be a laborer to all nations? And by the way, I mean, we have so many nations as long as we're talking about that, represented here in Phoenix and, and, and in our uh, own kind of uh, neighborhood here in Sunny Slope, it's so diverse. The nations are here. When, when he says uh, uh, the, the harvest is, is plentiful, I, I immediately go to that. Like if, if the, the message is supposed to go out to all nations, God has brought all nations to us here that live in a big city. Isn't that amazing? Are we willing to be the laborers though? I mean, am I willing to be the laborer? That's a question I have to ask myself. Do I think that the risk is worth the reward of returning to Jesus in praise and worship as more and more people also find peace in him? It's definitely not without risk. I mean, we saw that. You're getting sent out as a sheep among the wolves, a lamb among the wolves. But, but listen to this. This should give us a word of encouragement, a word of hope. The 72 return with joy, with joy to Jesus, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, we don't know exactly what that is referring to, but uh, we, I think we can say with confidence that he's saying, I am seeing the devil being defeated by the faithfulness that's on display here. Behold, I've given you Authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, now this is so interesting. Listen, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That your spirits, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. To me, it all boils down to that statement by Jesus 
Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, if we really have that joy, that confidence, that Jesus has come to us, and so we can be with him now and forever, and that nothing can take that communion with Christ away from us. If we really have that joy, I mean, why wouldn't we share it? Why wouldn't we put in the work to go out to the nations, to go out and say, come on in, come on into the celebration. And it doesn't always just mean inviting people to the Sunday morning gathering, by the way. Like, that's great. We want as many people as, as God wants to bring into our Sunday morning gathering. Um, but do you know what? It, I think it starts by, um, by saying, why won't you, will you join me here where we are right now? And there's so many ways to do that. Can I pray for you? Um, can I share with you what God has done in my life this week? today. Having an attitude of gratitude, always pointing to Jesus for all those things, pointing to God for all those things, pointing to the Holy Spirit for all those good things that God has given you. You're inviting people to join in the celebration, right? Do you have that joy? If you have that joy, if you're rejoicing that your name is written in heaven, man, that's where it's at. So, may each one of us and all of us truly believe it and rejoice in it and share it faithfully on mission. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.